You got a Bible? I hope so. Psalm 23. And let me explain why it's Psalm 23. In, uh, in our preaching calendar, when the pastors get together and decide kind of what text we're going to teach and when we're going to teach it and how much of it we're going to teach, we kind of insert periodically dates that are free uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that when churches are doing their life, um, sometimes you need a week to speak to the congregation specifically about current events that apply to it. And so this is one of those weeks that all redemption is off the gospel of Mark and they're doing what they do. And and so Paul and I were looking at the calendar months ago, and, and uh, he said, you need to teach Psalm 23, because I taught it at uh, 710 Retreat, and I did a little bit of it at, at, at summer camp. He said, that's what our church needs to hear. So if you don't like this, it's Paul's fault. I love this, all right? We're in Psalm 23, and um, I don't think I'm kidding when I say I shut down really well, because I, I just, my, I mentally fog out to a horrible degree. But it didn't take me very long, getting back about a week and a half, to realize there's a whole bunch of weight in our church. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that's unusual. I don't know if it's just I'm more sensitive to it now or I've heard more about it now. But when I talk about weight, I'm talking about things, difficult things that the, that the church people are, are having to, to deal with. I've, I've heard of things um, that physically scares us to death. Like cancer. I, I talked to a man today and said, pray for me, because on Tuesday we find out. I know some have had surgeries. I know some have gone through the, the C word. And the C word scares us because it sounds like death to us. And there are many people who are dealing with that plus other things. A scare, a physical scare. Like, what does this mean? What does that do to my future? And am I going to survive it? There are people who I've talked to, some of you, who are, have, have just, are just wrecked emotionally. Uh, you're dealing with depression. You're dealing with sadness. You've lost someone, someone really close to you. And um, I think about one particular person all the time, and, and uh, I just look at their face, and I see, like, broken from loss. That's just heavy duty. I know that there are many of us, uh, lots of folks in our congregation who are dealing with relational tensions, relational issues, marriages that are kind of hanging in the balance or that aren't any fun right now, and God's refining you, and you just hate every bit of it, and it just seems like it's not, it's not worth it or or other tensions that, that come up kind of between believers. And, and, uh, and I, I, I'm watching your eyes, so I know I've said something that rings a bell. That pain, the difficulty, the trouble, the garbage that we don't like in our life. And it sometimes gets super, super heavy. So much so that you might uh, wonder um, if you're going to be all right. And to be honest, it makes sense, humanly speaking, to ask that question. Because we don't know what we don't know, do we? I don't know about tomorrow, really, ultimately, about how healthy I will be or how happy I will be. And so because we don't know what we don't know and we're in the midst of a crisis, we feel it, we wear it, we hold it. We don't know how it's going to turn out, so we're scared. Or, or we're worn out or at best fed up, just fed up with the whole thing. And so we're kind of stressed to that point. But as a, as a believer, as a Christian, you came to church today, and I know you assume that I'm going to say something to that. And so looming in the background, circling around the life of every Christian is another narrative, and it's the narrative of God in suffering, right? But humanly speaking, we can understand fear, and we can understand doubt and confusion, can't we? But, but the reality of it is, being a Christian sometimes doesn't look much different when we're suffering than being a non-Christian, does it? fears feel the same, my anxiousness feels the same, 
my confusion feels the same. And I think one of the biggest obstacles to us responding at all differently to those types of things, like pressure or hurt or pain, the only way possible to experience the presence of God in troubled times or faith in a, in a crisis is directly connected to this, what you know of God. Now, I think the church, uh, you would never say it, you would never raise your hand to this, but some of us don't know much about him at all, so when a crisis hits, we just go to our resource and there's not much there, and so the only thing left I have is panic, or it's really like us to, in the midst of the strife, to forget what we know. We've heard it before, but we lay it aside because I'm more programmed to be anxious, and so that happens because we forget about what he says, or maybe we don't know what he says about himself, sometimes we misinterpret what he does. And some of us sometimes look at this stuff, this pain, this struggle, and we would call them random acts of an indifferent God. Like, like, I know, I've heard, he's all-powerful, but he doesn't care. And he doesn't care, and that's why I'm going through it. It's just, it's too heavy. He could do something about it, but he's busy somewhere else. Or we could make another mistake and think that a thought you may have thought for a while, that God is just being intentionally cruel. That's what he does. That's how God does things. He's just heavy-handed. And, and I would tell you both those thoughts, both those perspectives are wrong. You need to adjust them. And I'm hoping that this morning we can adjust a little bit. Um, so here's what I plan to do today. We're just going to do a simple little quick Bible study on Psalm 23. Only four verses of this psalm. And see what, what God uh, says to us here. Um, the Bible is filled with word pictures, and the reason why the Holy Spirit uh, caused these men to write word pictures to describe things is because it's a really great way of teaching us, okay, what is heaven like, and it describes it in things that we could hold or see or touch. What are, what are people like? And it goes on to say things, for instance, like Jesus when he's describing, and we're in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus encounters the religious leaders, he pulls out words that paint a picture. You're poisonous snakes. You're whitewashed tombs. This is not a good description. And those words, those phrases paint that that picture, Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing the epistles, when he's describing what it is to chase after God, to be in a pursuit of him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, uses athletic terminology and says, I box in such a way or I run in such a way. It kind of describes the intensity of our chasing after Jesus. So the word pictures help us, but there's probably no more familiar word picture in all of the Bible than the word picture of us being sheep and God being a shepherd. Would you agree with that? Very familiar to us. Maybe it's because we have bumper stickers and posters all over our house. I, I have no idea, but that's clearly one of the, probably the most poignant ones we see. And David uses it here in Psalm 23 to describe himself and the Father as, as the great shepherd. Now, I don't know why God decided to use that, really, ultimately. In his infinite wisdom, he could have picked other animals, couldn't he? Or other things, but he didn't. He picked... He picked sheep, and there's a reason for that. One is because it was immediately relatable to the people that were listening. Herds, sheep, shepherds, very popular. They're everywhere, you know? The other reason why is because we really are a lot like sheep. I mean, seriously, very close, like, like sheep, spiritually speaking. So let me just describe to you the basic tendencies of a sheep, and then you're going to know, wow, that's me without the wool. Um, basically, if you want a general description of sheep, they can do nothing for themselves. 
How's that feel? Spiritually speaking, they can do nothing, we can do nothing for ourselves. Uh, a sheep can't protect himself. He wasn't given fangs or claws or wings. He can't, he can't be an aggressor and he can't really run that fast, right? Um, they won't look for food or water sources on their own. They need a shepherd for that. They won't clean themselves. I don't know if you saw just a couple days ago, they found this, this random sheep in Australia had 90 pounds of wool on it, never been shorn. They said you can make 30 sweaters from this one, one sheep. Doesn't even know enough to get a haircut, okay? Um, and they're scared of everything. And so the point of the illustration, the spiritual connection, is that sheep are so incapable that without a shepherd, they're dead. Are you, getting, are you tracking with me, spiritually speaking? So... We can't protect ourselves either, spiritually. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, the horrible news, the, the worst news, that we're dead in our transgressions and sins, and there's nothing we can do about it. We were born that way, incapable. We can't protect ourselves from that. We can't feed ourselves spiritually because even Romans says you won't even seek after God. Given an option, you won't even clean it up because you're dead in your transgressions. We can't clean ourselves spiritually. People try. That's what churches are about. Go to church enough, pray enough, read enough, do enough, give enough. And maybe, maybe God will notice, and then maybe God will reward me. But that's not how it works, the Bible says. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to the holiness of God. So we can't even clean it up. And we really are scared of everything, aren't we? Scared of everything. Scared of failing. Scared of hurt. Scared of pain. Scared of death. We're scared of our futures. Like, if there isn't some other narrative, speaking a better word, a bigger word, then we will just be freaking out all the time because everything should make us afraid. You watch the news. Well, nothing good there. There's an election coming up. Well, nothing good there. There's nothing to look like anchor your hope to. Well, that'll make it better or that'll make it go away, and it just gets worse. Like, every time you see something, it's worse. So we're afraid of everything. So the, the sheep description is perfect. Just like the shepherd description is perfect of God. So, so I'm just going to do a really simple, like pull apart a few words and, and take you through a bit of Psalm 23. And, and here's what I have been praying and am praying for you right now um, that God might do with this. That you might be able to understand yourself a little bit more. So if your tendencies are showing themselves and you end up feeling like a sheep, spiritually speaking, well, welcome to the club, okay? But you might understand that a little bit and, and why it is so hard to rest and have really true biblical peace in the midst of chaos, maybe you'll know. And probably more importantly than that, then you'll see God more clearly, who he is and what he does, that he's really actively pursuing your peace. In spite of all these potential struggles, all these potential hurts and pains, all of these fears, that God is on a rescue mission, not just to save you, but to give you peace. Okay? So let me read these four verses. Let's pray together, ask for the Holy Spirit to help us, and let's pick it apart. Verse 1, chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's 
pray. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come right now and to take these words and this truth and press it upon your people. To those who are hurting today, to those who are lost or confused today, God, I pray that your Spirit would come to them and reassure them. I pray, God, that we would celebrate the fact that you are really into our peace and that you're here for that, our peace. Give us the ears to hear and the hearts to trust, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. The first phrase I want you to notice is, I sh- shall not want. When I, I read this so long ago, I can't even remember. But I know how I felt about it when I read, I shall not want. So if I paraphrase that, it sounds more like if I translate it, I'll have everything I want. Doesn't it kind of read that? The Lord is my shepherd, therefore anything I ask for, I- I've got. Well, that is not what David's saying. All right, sorry to break your heart, but here is a better reading of what David said here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, okay? I shall not lack. Now, now maybe that's a little bit better, a little bit more helpful for you, but if I'm honest, okay, if I'm just being transparent with you, and, and maybe you can relate to this, I prefer the idea of having whatever I want. And I'm not talking about selfishness or materialistic, okay? I'm talking about needs as I perceive them. Right? Doesn't it make sense when you're crying out in your sickness to say, God, would you heal? Or, or, or probably more poignantly, when someone else is hurting and you love that person, you're saying, God, don't let them suffer. That's a reasonable prayer request. I would rather that God would deliver there and show up and do some things there. God, I want a, I want a job so I can provide for my family. Doesn't seem too selfish, does it? God, I, I want my parents to... I get a divorce. I want them to get along. Seems like a reasonable request. I want this depression to go away. I want these doubts to, to leave me. Seems reasonable. But what David is saying here isn't that if God is your shepherd, that you can pray any of those particular prayers and have exactly what you want. Here's what he's saying. Now, you've got to connect this to your suffering, Okay. David's point is this, that God's sheep never lack anything that he thinks is good for us. And there's a big difference in how I interpret my pain and suffering and that around me versus how God sees this stuff. God uses it, and we'll see this later, as a mechanism to transform people who won't transform themselves who make no decisions to be holy themselves, but God is passionate about us being like Jesus. And so he promises that you won't lack anything that he determines is good for you, okay? Now, when you're outside of pain and suffering, you go, amen, preach it, brother, it's all good. But when it's hurting, you kind of take that and you, okay, tell me something else. And so here's something else, according to David, based on the shepherd and the sheep, okay? Verse two, he makes me lie down. I don't know if you know this, but sheep are a very nervous animal, very anxious, very um, worried, and they will not lie down when they are worried and anxious. They won't, okay? Only when they're at peace. And David is not saying that the shepherd shows up and, and starts yelling at the sheep to get down and pretend like they have peace, okay? David is saying the presence of the shepherd changes the heart of the sheep to such a degree they chill. And they rest in the peace that he provides. They don't know necessarily that they're predators, and they don't know that there's problems. They just know that he's here, and I'm good. 
They rest in that. It's the shepherd's presence that has such a calming effect and that drives out the fear. So you got to hang on to this. The peace of God isn't fabricated. It's not forced. God doesn't force it on anybody. It's real. It's real. The person of God, his wisdom, his holiness, his power, his sovereignty, his goodness, his promises is what brings peace to troubled hearts. Do you believe that, church? And if you're in the midst of going, well, I don't see it, the first problem you would have is to somehow believe that God doesn't see it or that God is playing with you or toying with you or giving you what you can't bear up under. But you know what the scripture says, that he loves you dearly. And your greatest problem isn't death or sickness. It's you apart from him. And he's going to do anything it takes to get it. And sometimes it's the problems. Sometimes it's the stress. Verse 2, he makes me lie down where? Green pastures. For a sheep, a green pasture meant strength and growth and satisfaction. And that is exactly what God is promising us. Okay? That's what God does with the word. You ever pick it up? You ever pick it up? When you're struggling, you ever look at it hoping that the Spirit of God would press it on you to such a degree that you would believe it over what you're feeling or what you're going through? That's the promise of the Word of God. It is the, it is the water. It is the life. It is the green pasture for our soul. It may be what you do when you're sitting down at quiet time. It may be what God does in a really crazy thing called preaching. Like maybe right now, God is trying to warm your heart and re- convince you that he is all about your peace. As when Christians gather together, formal or informal, your small groups, your RCs, whatever you do, it's how God, through another believer, reminding you of a truth or praying for your heart or whatever, that's how the mechanism works. It's, it's what he does in our hearts when we chase after him. And Just a side note here a little bit. There are so many of you, in my opinion, who are trying to do this thing all on your own. And so when the crisis hits, you have no, no other mechanism that God provided for your stability. You don't have the church. You don't have brothers and sisters holding you up or praying for you. You are a lone ranger Christian. Let me just tell you, you were not created to be that way. And let me tell you something else. might seem a little heavy-handed, but I'm going to tell you the truth. You can't obey the Bible and be that kind of Christian. Because you've got to struggle with all the commands of the one another's. If you're not playing a role in that, these are commands or imperatives. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Call each other out on sin. That's the role we play. It doesn't have to be formal. It can be informal, but it needs to be there. Do you understand? And so many Christians go, I got Jesus. We're good to go. And I'm glad you have Jesus. But one of the mechanisms to keep you standing is other believers who aren't in your strife who tell you of the promises of God when you're going through it. Does it make sense? So, let's move on. Verse 2, he leads me beside still waters. Sheep don't drink in rushing streams. Never find them by a waterfall lapping away because the noise freaks them out. It's got to be a quiet, still pool of water. And they don't know how to find it. They need a shepherd to get there. They're clueless about that. And so the shepherd does those things. He leads them to life and refreshment. So you get the spiritual connection. Where does the shepherd, where does the good shepherd lead you? You want your, your soul restored? It's only found one place. Not in the crazy, not in the crazy, but in the stillness of God speaking to our heart through the word prob- primarily. 
Now, I'm going to make a confession, and I'm hoping someone would amen me on this one, or you relate to it a little bit. I don't do this well at all. Sit still. When crisis hits, I get busy. There's something to fix. There's something to say, something to read, right? Isn't that true? So if you, nobody say that men, by the way, that's really troubling. Um, <laughs> but here's what God does. In his faithfulness, he leads me to places sometimes where there's nothing I can do and there's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can fix. There's no place to go but rest. Because that quiet place, that place where God is, where God cares, where God speaks, that place of refreshment in life, that's him. And he's passionate about it. And he wants to do it in our lives. And maybe God brought you here today because he wants to lead you there again, maybe in the midst of your chaos. Verse 3, there's another phrase. He restores my soul. The word restores is the word to right or to lift up. Um, when a sheep tips over, it's called a cast sheep. And for whatever reason, they don't have the capacity on their back to just flip over and bend their knees and make themselves right again. They can't get on their feet. Now, I hope you're connecting the spiritual analogy to our own life. We can't right ourselves either. If you want to get the most gospel-centric part of this passage, it's right here. No man, no woman, no child, no matter who you are, has the capacity to sort it out and fix your problem. He restores our soul. And that's not just talking about conversion, although very, very true. He restores us in our suffering. He restores us in the pain and the confusion and I don't know and maybe I'm going to die. Those questions, he restores us. He lifts us up. Back to our feet again. You just picture that sheep on its back, belly up, exposed to predators, frailing around. Just picture that the next time you're freaking out. That's, that's us, okay? But the rescue mission was and is transformation. The rescue mission is Jesus coming to right us. It's what he did and what he does every day of your life. He holds you up. He keeps you up. And it's not necessarily connected to your sadness or your difficulties. It's your soul. He keeps you up. You're anchored in the character and the purposes of a sovereign God who's taking you to glory. That's the reality of this restorer. Restore my soul. And he's always in the process of restoring our soul. Here, verse 3 is a, another phrase. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Now, now maybe this is just me, but maybe it's not. When I read the word leads, I kind of picture this passive shepherd out in front of these meandering sheep, just kind of wandering, real quiet. Well, that isn't the lead at all. The lead here leads in the paths of righteousness. It's making the sheep uncomfortable enough to go where the shepherd thinks is best. It's more like a cattle drive, honestly. You know, the whooping and the hollering and the, the ways they make animals afraid enough to move where they think is best. That's where the water is. That's where the green pastures are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you there. He is faithful to lead us to those things. Now, think about this. He's willing to make you uncomfortable to get you to a better place. You would never pick that. 
You would never pick sickness or pain or poverty or homelessness or anything else, ever. We would never lay those things down to chase after Christ, although it's better for us. But he's willing to make us uncomfortable to get us to those paths of righteousness, right? So here's a question, or maybe a series of questions. I don't expect that you'll answer them here necessarily, but I want them to maybe haunt you a little bit. What if God has some really, really special place for you to go? And he wants to take you there, but you won't go. Just what if? What if God in his provision and love says, I've got something special for John or Alice or whoever you might be, but you just won't move? What would he do? What would he have to do? Like, what if God wanted to do something special, his special, not my special? What if he wanted to do something like brokenness and repentance and obedience? Someplace special he wanted to take you, but you won't go because repentance hurts and brokenness is no fun. And obedience seems like it gets in the way, but he knows, he knows joy is found at the end of transformation and he's committed to it. He's taken you there. What if God has some joy that you can't see and you have really no interest in because you like where you are? What would he need to do? What would he have to do? What if your suffering is God's leading? What if your becoming like Jesus requires it? Uh, trust me, I'm just like you. I would never vote for any of this. I would not vote for difficulty. But I do trust that what he's doing is good. And if it's difficult, I have to rest. There's another phrase, verse 4. And I'm going to kind of tie this one and the next one in verse 4 together. First one is, I will fear no evil. There's only one way possible. Sheep fear no evil. And that is the presence of the shepherd brings courage. Does it not? So if you're under it, if you're in it, if it's over you, if it's pressing down on you, the proximity to your shepherd equals either either you're so far away and you're afraid or you're close enough to have courage in the midst of it. I will fear no evil, according to David. This other phrase, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, we hear the word rod and staff and we think, well, that's a punitive object. That's what a shepherd would do to kind of beat on the sheep, but that's not how he used it. A shepherd would walk along with the sheep and place the rod on the backs of the sheep, and it was such a comforting presence that the sheep would just, they would just chill out. He's there. The shepherd is there. Another picture in your mind should be the presence of the shepherd brings the peace in the midst of wherever we're going. Where are we going? I have no idea. He's there. I'm good. The presence of the shepherd. So if you're scared or if you're upset, just know that. Your anxious heart is met by the peace of God, by his presence. Now, in the short few minutes I have left, let me finish with just a few things, obvious things, I think, that I want you to see. I want you to see how personal this is. Super personal. There is no uh, we, us, or they in this passage. Only my, me, and I. 
David understood something about God the Father and his presence in his life and his work in his, his life. God's care for you, now get this church, is personal and it's precise. So if there's some kind of suffering you're in, don't ever consider it to be some kind of rogue thing going on in your life. God knows what he's doing. It's personal. I know you might not understand it. Fine with that. I know you might not like it. I'm fine with that. But you can never deny God's presence in it. Personal. He knows you. He knows what stresses you. He knows what you need. He loves you beyond your ability to define love. So, David knew that. Do you know that? Now, if I back up and take a run at these four verses again, I look at verses one through three and I go, no problem. This is great. Where's my shepherd? Shall not want green pastures, stores my soul. It's all good. I don't like verse 4. Do you? Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I wish that wasn't there. This would be way easier if that wasn't there. Why do we have to walk through the valley of death? Why do we have to be afraid? Why do we have to go through troubles? Why do we have to go through dark times and dark places? Why? Get this. I want you to get this. It's really important. The reason why the sheep are going through the valley of the shadow of death is because the shepherd is leading them there. He didn't wander off to it. He led them to it. Remember, sheep um, by nature don't look for change. I mean, they'll stay in one place long enough to eat the dirt, okay? So wherever they are, wherever they're going, the good shepherd is taking them there, even the valley of the shadow of death. So the really important question to ask right now is why would God lead us to that? Why would God take us through this valley of death? Why the pain? Why the loneliness? Why the potential fear and uncertainness and struggle? Why, why the hard way? Okay, so get your head around this. You and I wouldn't do this. Only God would do this because he's taking us to a better place. He's taking us there and he's going someplace better. It's totally human not to understand the pain. But you cannot assume that God and cannot charge God that somehow this valley of death surprised him or that it isn't a part of what he's doing in you or me or that somehow it isn't going to be good because it is good. The reason why he leads us there is because he's taking us to a better place. He knows what we need. He knows what's best. And you have to confess you don't. You don't. Who wouldn't want to stay in verses 1 through 3? I would. I vote yes. Anybody else with me? Of course. Let's stay here. But you have to understand this. Green pastures are not separated by cute white picket fences. They're separated by valleys of death. And, and by the way, the shepherd isn't going, go there. The shepherd has promised to go with us through it. You've got to hang on to this. Here is the shepherd in the midst of doing some work in us that we don't vote for, like transformation and joy, leads us to places we would not want to go because he has the ultimate goal in mind, and he's with us every step of the way. You are not alone. You're not abandoned, no matter what you're going through, and you're not going to be crushed by it because you're a child of the king. You're a sheep of the shepherd. Do you believe that? This better place, this better place is you like Jesus. It is the place of ultimate joy 
That's why we get confused because we, we have morphed or distorted the definition of joy to equal things that we can touch, seal, buy, right? And that's not joy. That's not ultimate joy because you know this. Whenever you go after something you think will bring you joy only to be let down, you know that there's only one like lasting joy and that is a joy to know that your sins have been forgiven and your love beyond your wildest dreams and nothing will separate you from the Father. That joy, that transformation. When David says that he leads me in paths of righteousness in verse 3, you have to get this. One of the paths is the shadow of death. It's one of them. You know this. James says it in, I think, chapter 1. Consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials of various kinds because you know. And he goes on to list all these benefits of trials. I, I wouldn't vote for it. I'm kind of a wimp with that stuff. But he is so committed to us. Some of God's strongest moments of transform, transformation in us doesn't come in green pastures. Where does it come? Valleys of death, right? Sometimes when there's nothing and we have no one and there's no answers necessarily to the things I think I need like health or money or whatever and I'm just there, sometimes the deepest parts of me becoming like Jesus happen there. If you're old enough, you're going to say amen to this because you've walked that journey a thousand times, right? We see, see this difficulty and pain and stress and one out, he sees the faith and the trust and the hope and the peace and the growth and the transformation that comes of it, and that's what he's committed to. Do you believe that, church? So, in my prayers this week, I've prayed for faces, different faces of people who carry different burdens. I want you to know something. God is all over it. He's so intensely in your story right now, whether it feels like it or not, he's all over it, and he's doing a work, and the work is in here. And this work lasts forever. And this work brings him glory. Just say thank you. And trust that he's doing a good work and he won't crush you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel. The gospel is our hope. Jesus is our savior. You are our shepherd. We trust you. We submit to you. We know that you know what's going on. So we do pray. We pray at those moments, those moments where we might be overwhelmed by our circumstance. I pray, God, you'd give us that little reminder of your comfort and your courage and your peace and that we can trust your sovereign control over our life and we submit to you and pray that you do transform us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.